chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Verses that are probably familiar to most of us. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus speaks here. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all. Which is in heaven. Father, we're very thankful for these words of our Savior. A challenge, a picture, a command. He's identified us as what he expects us to be. And Father, today we we come before you and I ask that you would help us Help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to examine our hearts and our lives. And to see if we're really living up to what Jesus said we are. The world needs us to. The unsaved needs us to. Help us to realize how important it is. And Lord, if there's any here today that aren't saved, I pray that today the Holy Spirit would work in their heart. And they would allow us the privilege that before they ever leave this building, we could take the Bible and show them from your word how you say we can have our sins forgiven and have eternal life and have the Holy Spirit live within us and know Jesus as our all-sufficient Savior. Father, I can, I can speak to the outside of these people But I can't get in their heart. Only you can do that. I pray that you would. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this, Living Like What We Are. Living Like What We Are. This text that we've read is part of what some people have called the greatest sermon in history. It's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus has just finished Beatitudes where he declares who is going to be blessed of God. He declares those who live according to the qualities that God looks for in his children will be blessed by God. Verses 3 through 12, the word appears, appears, appears. Blessed, 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 blessed. Now as Jesus continues his instruction, he gives us two metaphors for how his disciples should live. And he gives the metaphors of salt, salt, and light. Very common things. Now in Jesus' day, they didn't have this. They had candles. Maybe a lamp. But it produced light. And the light made a difference. I doubt that they had iodized salt like we have. They didn't go down the store and buy a box of Morton salt. But they had salt. And so Jesus could seize on those two things that were common to make a point, to illustrate. And so he says to them, you are my disciples. And now you should live in this world as salt and light to this world. Herein we find a very clear call for our lives, for each of us. Those of us who have come to Christ, who are true followers of him, we are called here by Jesus to be the salt and the light to this world we live in. One man paraphrased what what he saw Jesus saying here. He said he believed Jesus was saying, plan A is for you, my followers, to go into the world, to be salt and light to the world. Attract people with your faithfulness, with your goodness, with your radical commitments to me. And I will make you attractive to people. And by the way, there is no plan B. This is Jesus' plan. We are to go into the world and be salt and be light. We've been assigned by God with this task. We're to go into the world and and display and preach the message of Jesus Christ display it in our lives and preach it with our mouths where we live. In our homes, in our communities, in our social circles, in our workplace, wherever we are. We are to be used by God to help other people know who Jesus really is. 
There's nothing more joyful, nothing more satisfying than to know you are being used by God to bring his message of love and grace and forgiveness and eternal life to someone who needs the Lord Jesus Christ. To know that God is using me to influence somebody for the Lord. Now I want you to notice something I've tried to make evident up here. Living like what we are. Notice in the text, Jesus said we are the salt of the earth. And we are the light of the world, speaking in the present tense. Hey, maybe you've been out of school a long time, but I think you still know what present tense means. Now. Right now. Young boy down south went to his teacher and said, teacher, how do you spell rat? She said, R-A-T. He said, no, no, no. Uh, like right now. Right now. <laughs> Jesus didn't say you will become salt and light. He didn't say you'll grow into it. He said, if you're my disciple, you are salt and you are light. Hence the title. Living like what we are. And notice that word influence. Every believer is right now the salt of the earth, the light of the world. This is a major part of our calling. It is our purpose as his disciples. It is who we are. And it's why we live in this world. Oh, how many times have I said, listen, if the only reason God saved us was to take us to heaven, don't you think when he saved us, he would have just taken us? Wouldn't that have been the the kind and, and loving thing to do if that's all he saved us for, to get us out of this mess? But if you look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, he says that we were created unto good works that we should walk in them. God didn't just save us, take us to heaven. Though if you're saved, he will. When your time comes and you step out of this, 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 this body, Paul says, be absent from the body, he's present with the Lord. But in the meantime, God left you here for a purpose. And he didn't just leave you here to have fun. He didn't just leave us here to enjoy all the wonderful things we enjoy. He left us here because there's a job to be done. There's a harvest field to be labored in. And we are supposed to be the laborers. We represent him here on earth. Once we accept Christ into our lives. Let me stop there a minute. 
You remember when you accepted Christ into your life? Remember that birthday? See, if you're saved, you have two birthdays. You can celebrate both if you want to. I don't know if that would count in a restaurant that gives free dessert on your birthday. If you could celebrate both. But listen, the first time you were born, you had a physical birthday. You are living proof of that today. You're here. Your second birthday is on that day when the Holy Spirit touched your heart and convicted you of your sin and your need of Jesus Christ and you opened your heart and you called on Him and you repented of your sin and He came into your heart and life and cleansed you and saved you. At that very instant, You not only got heaven as your home and your sins forgiven and all we could go on about those things, but you also got assigned the task of functioning as salt. Salt of the earth and the light of the world. Here we find Jesus. I like to refer to him as the master teacher. I like to teach and, and I think about methods of teaching and things. And, and when you see Jesus teaching, it's, it's, it's just miraculous to see how here he is in this instance and he seizes on the most appropriate metaphors for what he's trying to tell them. Salt and light. And he chooses those to drive home our responsibility to influence this world for Christ. One thing that salt and life have in common is that both have a radical influence on whatever it is they come in contact with. Say that again. Both have a radical influence on whatever they come in contact with. And I believe Jesus wants us to understand we as believers must have a profound, a radical, an unmistakable influence for the Lord Jesus Christ by living like what we are. Before I move on to big point number one, I want to remind you of this. Salt is ineffective when it's held in storage. I have salt. Salt. It's not doing a thing. It's ineffective. It's there. Not doing anything. Now, if I had a nice hard-boiled egg or a nice ripe tomato, right? It would have influence. But as long as it's shut up in a container, it's there. It's all having no influence. Light is the same way. I have light. It's only effective if it's used. If it's allowed to shine. 
Hmm? The potential's there. But it's no good if I don't let it shine. Living like what we are. Jesus said we are salt and light. I want to talk to you about salt for a couple of minutes. I threw this up there. I got a couple other things I want to show you. <laughs> what it means to be salt and light. We should not ask what is wrong with the world. For that diagnosis has already been given. Rather, we should ask, what has happened to the salt and the light? Salt and light from Matthew 5, 13 and 16. We are to be salt and light to the world. Salt flavors, heals and preserves. Light reveals truth and provides guidance. You are the salt of the earth. What are the functions of salt? Oh, there are many. Go on. Well, I don't like to advocate you go on the internet, but look up uses for salt. It's like looking up uses for baking soda. Hmm? You ever done that? You could read about a week. <laughs> but let me give you a few. Salt is what they call aseptic. What that means is it resists decay. You could say preserves. It resists decay. It's aseptic because salt cannot reverse corruption. It can only stop more corruption. You understand that? It cannot reverse corruption or decay, but does prevent it from spreading when it's present. It's used to hold decay and putrefaction at bay. Most of us understand in history before the refrigerator came along, salt was the most commonly used preservative. If people wanted to keep things like meat and, and those kind of, they, they, would, they would put them in, in salt, soak them in salt, and dry them, and it would, it, they'd last, I, I guess, forever. I remember as a child, my mother's people came from Sicily. And my grandfather at one time owned a grocery store. And I remember her talking about, her mother used to prepare, she called it bacala. I said, well, what's bacala? Here's how my mother described it. She said, it's old, dead, dried up codfish. Well, I found out one day in the store that what it was was salted codfish. And uh, that's what they would have to eat, and she despised it. But that's how they used to preserve things. You know, if you want to tan a hide, You rub that puppy in salt and wrap it up and leave it. I don't know how long. I never tanned one. But that's part of the process. And it keeps it from rotting. It stops decay. 
And then it flavors. Boy, we know that. Most of you know I've got health issues. And I have spent a lot of time on the eighth floor of St. Luke's Hospital. I'm pushing to get my own coffee cup up there. Sometimes when I go in, they bring me food, and, and I didn't get to order it. They just bring it. And it is what they call the heart-healthy diet. You know what's great about that? Nothing. They won't let me have anything with salt. Nothing. I can't have anything with pork. I can't have anything with dairy. I can't, I can't have anything. Oh no, I can have jello. And broth. Have you ever tried to eat without salt? Now, I know some people, you know, they go on salt-free diets. Hey, if you want to do that, have at it. Me, I like the salt shaker. Because it makes things taste better. I cut up a watermelon the other night. And my wife said, you want some watermelon? I said, well, sure. And she brought me a bowl of watermelon, and she brought me the salt shaker. I tasted a couple of pieces without salt. Nah. <laughs> Boy, it tastes a lot better with salt. We were at Shady Maple yesterday, and I went by the grill place. And they were over there grilling. I couldn't believe this. They were grilling catfish. I don't think I've seen grilled catfish since I moved north. Down south, it's a big thing, catfish. But their grill was filled. I said, what's that? That's catfish. Uh, I think I'll pass. And over here, they, they had some salmon. This big. Grilling. And we'll pass on it. And I went over here and I found what I was looking for. Steak. And the lady was dealing with them, and I put my plate out, and she went, Phew. And that thing covered half my plate. And I went and sat down, and I got my knife and fork, and I said to my wife, Please pass the salt. Because it'll make that puppy taste that much better. You know, the Bible teaches that salt flavors. Job. If that's for me, take a message. Job. 6.6. Six. Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Have you ever eaten an egg white by itself? It's another hospital food. <laughs> I think it was the last time I was in. They, they sent me an omelet. I took a couple bites and I said, that's awful. And then I read the thing on my tray. I'm not allowed to have egg yolk. I have an egg white omelet without salt. There's no flavor. Now, if they would have gave me the salt shaker, I would have been all right. Salt flavors. One time I bought a sack of pretzels and I wasn't paying much attention. I like crunchy pretzels. For some reason, I like crunchy food. And I bought these pretzels, and I opened them up, and I ate a couple. I thought, oh. They were salt-free pretzels. 
that ought to be illegal. You shouldn't be allowed to call something that don't have salt a pretzel. Salt enhances and, and helps and, and flavors whatever you use it on. And salt purifies. A couple of years ago, my brother over here in Newburgh had, a, had an in-ground pool put in his yard. And I said, how much chlorine do you have to put in? He said, I don't use chlorine. I said, how are you going to keep all that water clean? Salt. I said, really? He said, yeah. It's a salt water pool. It's not a chlorine pool. They use salt to purify the water. What do you use in the water softener? Salt. So many other uses of salt purifies. And then we all know this, salt creates thirst. When we eat salty food, we get thirsty. I said I like crunchy food. I like to crunch potato chips. I really like those kettle chips. My wife don't like them, but I like them. They are crunchy. But when I have potato chips, I got to have something to drink because I get thirsty. Same with salted peanuts. Have you ever had this? Easter time, we eat ham. I've noticed if I have ham for Easter dinner, about two o'clock in the afternoon, man, I'm drinking water and water. And water, like I don't usually drink. Why? The salt in the ham is making me thirsty. You know, they tell people, if you're ever shipwrecked, and you're out in the boat waiting for help, don't drink ocean water. Number one, it will make you sick. Number two, it will make you more thirsty because of the salt. Salt creates a thirst. Let me give you one other interesting fact about salt. You should understand that this stuff is a miracle. This stuff is something only God could do. Salt is chemically composed of sodium and chloride. Chloride. How many of you ladies use bleach? Chlorine comes from chloride. How many of you have ever been to a swimming pool where they use chlorine? Chloride. Do you know if you're a place, if you have a pool and you're using uh, chlorine, you best not breathe it? If you breathe it, it will kill you. Chloride. But salt is chemically composed of sodium and chloride. If you would pour a little hydrochloric acid on your hand, it would just take probably less than a minute to burn away the skin on your hand. If you would drink hydrochloric acid, you will die in agony in just a few minutes. But if you add sodium to hydrochloride, you have salt. One of the most common, one of the most useful substances on earth. Actually a substance that's essential to life.
Which brings me to this. That's the functions of salt. Let's talk about the functions of believers as the salt of the earth. Hey, we're salt. If you write on yourself, write on your hands, salt. So remember what you are. Well, what's our function supposed to be as the salt of the earth? Well, number one, we ought to resist corruption and decay. As believers, we are supposed to have an arresting effect in the corruption that's around us. Hmm. I remember as I worked in that can company. Sometimes when I get around some of the people, they clean up their language. Yeah. Now, they would use foul language, etc. But if I came around, they clean up their language. I appreciated that. But see, I was being sold. A lot of the fellas looked at magazines that I wouldn't look at. So if I happened to come around, they put it away. I didn't have to say anything. Why did they do that? I had an effect on it as the salt. You see, as I said, salt holds back corruption. And our lives are supposed to hold back sin. Yeah. The unsaved live to please the flesh. It's all their natural desires. And that behavior goes directly against the word of God. We as believers are to live righteous, godly, and holy lives in the midst of the ungodly. We're to have an arresting effect, if you will, on the general corruption of society. Sunday school. By the way, adults, you ought to come to Sunday school. Yeah. I thought that was for kids. No, it's for you. I teach the class. We're dealing with things you need to learn. Amen, preacher. We were talking this morning about Christian school and why our children ought to go to Christian school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I have a philosophy, if you will, as to why our public schools are the way they are. Here's, here's what I believe. Back in the early 60s, Madeline Murray O'Hare brought a lawsuit about reading the Bible in public school. She, she didn't want her kid to have to hear it. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, you can't read the Bible in public school. So, some churches said, Christian churches, Bible believers said, well, if that's the case, we're going to take our kids out of schools. We're going to start Christian schools. A little bit later, they came around and said, you can't pray in public school. Whoa, that was it. Now churches all across America said, forget it. We're taking our kids out. We're going to start Christian schools. They'll be able to read the Bible and pray. Now listen, I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying what happened. But we never thought about this. When we did that and took the Christian kids out of the public school, we took the soul out. You see, now, 
When some teacher said, you've got to read this filthy book. If it happened when the Christian was in, the parent would go down to the school board and get other parents and they say, they're not reading this book. And they say, well, yeah, we better not do that. But now when we take the kids out, there's no salt. The unsaved don't care. Let them read whatever they want to read. You, you with me? Nod your head so I know you're awake. Amen. Saul, we're to hold back. That's a part of what we're supposed to do. We're, actually, I know the unsaved get wore out with us and frustrated with us. We're a burr under their saddle. Because we're always against what they want to do. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to flavor. We're supposed to make a difference. We think about the filth on the TV shows. Movies. You know why that's the way it is? Because Christians didn't stand against it. Yeah, we didn't say, well, I'm not going to that. I'm not going to buy that. I'm not. So we weren't the salt we're supposed to be. We're supposed to influence and flavor and make a difference and refuse to participate in ungodly, humanistic, paganistic things. Will you listen to me for a minute? Believers need to stop supporting Disney. I don't want to go into all the Disney's. It's wicked. And it promotes wickedness. And we need to stop going to Burger King. What's wrong with Burger King? Oh, they're flying the rainbow flag now. And we need to quit supporting pro sports. I forget which pro baseball team the other night. The man announced, I'm sorry, Tampa Bay. Bay, Around their stadium where they had their flags, they had the rainbow flag. I hope you know what the rainbow flag is. What they're saying is we're for gay, L-B-G-T-W-X-Y-Z and whatever else. I'm not. I I quit watching pro football. I didn't watch pro anything else. I used to watch pro football. I quit watching two years ago because of that. You say, well, they don't care. Fine. But I'm going to be sold. I'm not going to do it. And I believe if more Christians would take a stand and say, I'm not going to support it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stand against it. We could make a difference. How do you think the queers got to where they're making the difference they're making? They spoke up. They took action. While believers sat on the the pew and let it go by. Saul! We're to live in such a way so as to create a thirst in the unsaved for what we have. John Phillips said this, The earth, as divorced from heaven, is corrupt. We are to be the medium through which the heavenly side of things 
exerts itself on earthly things. We are to live as heavenly people in an earthly environment. Just as salt adds tang and flavor to food, we are to exert our godly influence in a pungent and attractive way. Hmm? Pungent and attractive way. And then I read this, Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. We need to create a thirst in the unsaved. So we don't don't go to work and complain because we had to go to church yesterday. We don't go to work and complain because I had to pay my tithes. That's not going to draw that unsaved person. We don't go to work and say, oh, things are bad, things are going terrible. They may be. But that's not going to create a thirst in that person. When you come into work and they say, Oh, man, we partied yesterday. What'd you do? He said, man, I got to go to church and God moved and I saw people saved and I saw God do special things and we sang and we prayed. It was wonderful. Sounds like he had a good time. Hmm? Why aren't you depressed and despondent? We're getting laid off because I got a God who'll take care of me. You can know him. I've got to move quickly. Second point. You're the light of the world. And Jesus says, let your light so shine before men. Our light will shine when we allow us to reflect Christ to them. That's how our light shines. Maybe you haven't figured this out yet, but you don't have any light in yourself. Jesus said, let your light shine. So we must have light. No, no, no. No. A little later, he says, I am the light of the world. Was he confused? No. Most of us know the moon has no light of itself. Some of you look like, oh. (laughs) The moon has no light. If you go around the backside, the moon is dark. The moon has no ability to give light. But I see it up there. It's a light. (laughs) The moon is reflecting the light of the sun. You get it? We have no light. But our light can shine. The light that can shine is we reflect the light of Jesus Christ on this world. It's not our light. It's his light. would live in such a way that would show him. This world is in spiritual darkness. And really, apart from Christ, so were we. A couple of facts about light. Number one is visible. Boy, that's profound, isn't it? Where there's light, you see it. You ever thought about this? You can't see darkness. You 
You ever been someplace where they turned off all the lights? We went through a cave one time on a train, and they said, we're going to go through this cave. It's going to get dark. There's no lights, blah, blah, blah. Sure enough, we got in the middle of that cave. It was dark. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. But you couldn't see dark. You knew it was dark. You can't see dark, but you can see light. As soon as there's light, you can see it. Light eliminates darkness. When light comes, darkness must flee. Darkness never overcomes light. Light always overcomes darkness. I said, when light comes, darkness has to go. You can't have both. Light is visible, light eliminates darkness. And light eliminates fear. People fear darkness because it holds the unknown. If I said, there's a cave over there and it's dark and I want you to go in there and see what's in there. You'd be scared. You say, well, I don't know what's in there. It could be anything. That's true. That's why, that's why kids fear the boogeyman in the dark. That's why we don't want to walk down a dark alley at night. We don't know what's there. Could be nothing. Could be something. Darkness brings fear. Little boy went to bed. He was upstairs and he kept wailing and crying. His mother came up to comfort him. She said, son, everything's okay. You just need to go to sleep. So I'm scared. What are you scared of? Monsters. They're under my bed. They're in the closet. She said, no, son. She opened the closet door. See, no monsters. She looked under the bed. No monsters. She said, now I'm going back downstairs. I want you to go to sleep. Oh, I'm afraid. I want somebody here with me. I'm scared. Stay with me. She said, Jesus is with you. He said, I know, but I need somebody with skin on them. <laughs> Darkness brings fear. But light eliminates it. When we can see what's there, when we can perceive, then actually it brings peace, comfort. And then it reveals danger. I put a picture of a lighthouse up there. And I can't do it. I should have made it so I can remove the words. Something interesting about that particular picture of a lighthouse. The lighthouse is crooked. You can't see it real well there. But it's... I thought, how appropriate. That, that lighthouse is not perfect. But it's still a lighthouse. It's still shining. It's still protecting. It's still doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's not perfect. Listen, we may not be perfect. 
but we can still be lighthouses. We can show the way. Let me give you a couple of quick things about us being lights. Number one, we reflect the light of Christ. We don't need to show them our light. We don't have any. It's not about us. It's not about our accolades. Him. John the Baptist said, he must increase. I must decrease. So we show them him. Not us. And it dispels the darkness. The world's in spiritual darkness. But as we show them Christ and tell them of Christ, the darkness has to go. Now they're seeing truth. You know, sometimes you have to shine the light to see what's real. What's true. When I work on things, sometimes I've got to go get the flashlight so I can look and see what's really going on here. When we shine the light of Christ, people see. And it dispels fear. Somebody said this, and I never thought about this. Nobody fears light. I've never heard of a child crying because the light's on. You know, when they go to bed at night. I've heard many times how they cry because there's no light on. We don't fear light. People don't have to fear us when we're sharing the light. And then it reveals a difference. The light that we share reveals a difference. When we're reflecting the light of Christ in us, we're different. We're different from them. If we're being like Jesus, we're going to be different. And they see it. That's why they call you weird. That's why they say you're a religious fanatic. That's why they say you're an occult or you're wacko or whatever they say. Because there's something different about you. Thank God for the difference. But you didn't make the difference. He does. So we live like he wants us to live. We live for him. And that reflects him to them. And they see a difference. And they say, you know, they're weird, but there must be something to this. They're weird, but they sure are happy. They're weird, but they don't seem to worry much. They're weird, but they, they have a way of handling things that I don't have. I have salt. It's not doing me any good in this container. The only way the salt's going to do any good is to get it out. Get it spread. Get it to where it can affect food. I have a light. 
not going to do any good unless I let it shine. Jesus said, we're the salt, we're the light. Last thing. There's a danger to guard against. Jesus said the salt can lose its savor. That's its ability to flavor, to make a difference. The salt can lose that. And he says if it loses it, it's not worth anything. It's not effective. And you know, our light, our light can dim. You know the lighthouse. I thought about the lighthouse. And you know every day if you read about lighthouses, the lighthouse keeper every day we go clean the lens. Because he knew how important that light was. That light showed people the way to safety. And if that lens was dirty and dim and they couldn't see that light, they could be lost. Our light gets dimmed when we let it get dirty. Sin. And now the world looks at us and says, Mm-mm. there's nothing there. That's not real. Look how they're living. I can't trust them. Hmm? Let's bow our heads. Father, help us. Help us just to be the salt and the light you want us to be. Help us to, to hold back, if you will, corruption. To have a purifying effect. Help us to reflect the light of Christ. That men might see the lives we live are good works. And it will draw them and point them to the Father and to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. How many believers in this room would say, Preacher, I believe to the best of my ability, I'm being the salt and the light God wants me to be. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to the best of my ability. Here's my hand. Would you hold it high? God bless you. Put it down. How many believers in this room would say, Preacher, I'm not really being the salt and light God wants me to be. He spoke to me today. There's things that need to change. Maybe the lens on your light's dirty. Need to clean it up. Maybe you're salt, but you're still in the container. You don't let it out. You keep it hidden. It's not making any effect. Would you today say, Lord, forgive me. I haven't been living like what I am. Salt and light to this world. But I'm making a commitment today. I'm going to do whatever I need to do, change whatever I need to change, so I can be the salt and light you want me to be. Here's my hand. Hold it up high. God bless you. 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 Is there one or maybe more here today? Say, preacher, I can't be salt and light. I've never been saved. 
Well, I want somebody to show me how to be saved today. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me? I'd be glad to pray for you. I won't call your name. I won't embarrass you. Will you just slip your hand up? Let me know. God bless you. God bless you. Father, folks have raised their hands, said you dealt with them. I pray that they right now will deal with you. Make whatever decisions and, and <clears throat> changes need to be made. And I pray for the one to raise the hand. That that one, when we begin to have invitation him, would come. And let me put them with someone. Man, if, if it's a man, lady, if it's a lady. Who can take them to a quiet place and show them from the Bible how to be saved. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to wait. You need to come. You come. Play, Mrs. Hunziker. Right now, God spoke to your heart. Let's stand. You have a need to come. You just come. Unsaved friend of mine, will you come? Will you come? We don't make you get saved. We'll show you how to be saved. You make the decision. Will you come? Salt and light. Two very common things. Things around everybody's life. You see, God never intended for us to just completely separate and isolate ourselves. No, we're to be out in the highways and hedges. We're to live in the world, but not of the world, so that we can make a difference. Will you come? We were in Amish country yesterday. And you know they believe that they need to isolate themselves, separate themselves from everybody. They, they can't really influence other people for Christ. We can. All right, I want to invite you back tonight. Missionary Belcher will be here. Going to Guam. And I'm sure you would be a blessing if you would be here, it would be a blessing to him. Father, thank you for, for your opportunity that we might be salt and light. That we might be able to influence the unsaved of this world for you. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.